Hey, storytellers. If you like the show, you can find Life Narrated on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever streaming service you use. It really helps others find the podcast and validates our existence. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thanks for listening. storytellers this is part two of our discussion on aliens in narrative be sure to listen to part one where we talk about the drake equation the fermi paradox space mermaids and whether or not we are in space jail we hope you enjoy so lauren why don't you tell us about um the earliest examples here in media of aliens in media okay so back in like ancient times it was like way more liberal. <laughs> so like in in Greece and Rome and other places where you see a lot of, you know, early thinkers and stuff, there was this thought called uh, cosmic pluralism, which was simply just the assumption that there are many inhabited worlds beyond the human sphere. Interesting. And so what Emily was saying about like, you know, beyond the human sphere, right? Mm-hmm. So that could mean like angels. That could mean like demons that could mean people living literally out in the cosmos but like you know for a long time we thought it was a you know we didn't understand that our world our earth was not the center of the universe so we literally thought everything revolved around us which is still true we just (laughs) shifted it over a little bit but it's still all about us um so i looked at where the first time you see the word extraterrestrial Mm -hmm. was written. So it turns out that that was, which means outside Earth. That is what extraterrestrial means. The first time that was published, and like published used as a noun, so to describe person, place, or thing, was in 1956. That's the golden age of Mm -hmm. science fiction. But it's not the first reference of life outside of Earth. So if we go back to second century Greece, there is a story called The True History is written by a guy named Lucian. And he wrote about these men traveling. They were on a ship. So it's like kind of kind of has this like Odyssey vibe. But they're just traveling the world. So maybe it's like Odyssey Gulliver's Travels kind of vibe, right? And they're just like encountering all these different cultures and these different creatures and stuff. And then there's this whirlwind that like, they get caught in and it literally like spins them up and like they travel. I think it's over like several days and they finally land on the moon. <laughs> and so when they get to the moon, they encounter this race of aliens that are like the moon people. And there is interplanetary warfare going on um, between the people of the moon and the people of the sun. Oh, interesting. and they are fighting over the morning star. Oh. Which is Venus. Yeah. Hmm. So there's, yeah, so there's inter- interplanetary warfare. That's fascinating. And imperialism. And imperialism. And colonization of other planets. Wow. So this is, like, we- a big deal. Because, one, we have literally a spaceship. Yeah, spaceship. 
traveling up to the moon and then you have the like conflict and i think the moon people win if i remember correctly <laughs> we really, oh, right. we really put our human foibles on these fictional aliens like they're <laughs> trading yeah. asteroids they're colonizing places like <laughs> they're imperials yeah. yeah so that was like a really early example of like that that cosmic pluralism. Right, okay. That there is, like, life in the cosmos outside of our human sphere. <laughs> the other story I want to talk about, because um, that's pretty much it. They go to the moon, they find moon people and sun people. Moon people. Um, the next one I want to talk about is still pre-modern, and it's a 10th century, and it's a Japanese tale, and it's called The Tale of the Bamboo Cutter. Oh, cool. And it's about... Um, this bamboo cutter who's out in his field and then he cuts open a piece of bamboo and he finds this teeny tiny little baby girl Aww. inside and he takes her home and raises her as his daughter. Aww. He and his wife raise her as his daughter and um, she's completely beautiful, like like grows up into the most beautiful girl. So even though she's like grows up in this like impoverished state her beauty is such that everyone wants to marry her and she like turns them down and then finally the emperor of japan hears about her beauty and like proposes marriage and go. she like has to turn him down mm-hmm. and Hold um for the top banana there <laughs> all right but she turns him down apparently why so. him down um so you've you eventually learn that she is she is from the moon and and because she is not from she is not of Earth, she can't marry anybody on Earth. I mean, she can. and eventually she ascends. I was about to say, yeah, well, like... eventually she ascends back to the moon. Oh, okay. Yeah. So and then like part of the story too is that like the you know because the bamboo cutter goes through still doing his job, but every <laughs> so often he finds like gold inside the bamboo. Oh wow! All right. Yeah. So That's um, interesting. but depending on I guess the like the tale or I guess what version of it. Some say that she was sent by the people of the moon to earth because of interplanetary warfare. So they (laughs) sent her to earth to keep her safe. (laughs) And, um, and then after the, after the conflict is over, that's when she ascends back to the moon so that she can take her place as the princess. This is like the Um, plot of Sailor Moon though. A little bit, oh, yeah. Oh, that makes so much it sense. It does. Oh my gosh. Sailor Moon. No wonder the Japanese came with Sailor Moon after like having the story for generations. Yeah. Like, they have like a, a real baseline for people coming from the moon and doing coming stuff. Coming from the moon and being buddy buddy with Earth people. Yeah. Like yeah, and so like the piece of bamboo that he finds her in is like it glows green. Sorry. We are pretty guardians. Sorry, it glows green. Yeah, it glows green, and the, you know, and he finds her inside, and she's all a baby, and she's really, like, really special. It doesn't describe her as having anything other than her like great beauty. Yeah. But when I was reading this, I was like, "Holy shit, Superman!" Yeah, <laughs> being also sent Superman, to yeah. yeah, like being oh, sent yeah, to Earth to, for protection yeah. and like. Well, does she know. have any special powers, the the Moon Princess? No, that's what I just she's said. Incredibly she attractive. Doesn't, She's just really oh, pretty. Okay. She's just kind of like a special power. smoking hot. <laughs> you know, but it honestly, especially humans, they yeah. like played the room. Um, because she like the emperor was like, "Girl, what do you want?" <laughs> and it's and like it, and it plays into now. I'm for, now I'm forgetting exactly how because there's a lot of like folklore around Mount Fuji, right. but it's thought that that was the like place that she ascended back to the moon and like 
the emperor was like, no, and sent like his <laughs> army to like go to her. And that's, and like he sent so many soldiers that it flattened the top of Mount Fuji. Oh, wow. So it's another like, what a quirky. What exactly was he going to do with all those soldiers <laughs> and the moon? I think like, he was, I don't know. <laughs> but like, it's actually ends up being, he, he's not portrayed, at least in what I was reading as a jerk. Like he actually like. He fell in love with her. He fell in love with her and, like, really wanted to prove himself. And she's like, boo, I can't. <laughs> Go to the moon, though. I did, I, like, for, I mean, for all we know, she had moon sex parts <laughs> that just were not compatible. And she just knew like, that. Whirring gears. And, like, <laughs> it vibrates. things. <laughs> like, go on, stick your dick in that. See what happens. Yeah, come on. Oh, no, you want to marry me? Okay, let's do this. Yeah. How bad do you really love me? That's right. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so yeah. So those are the those are the two stories that I I like the best and thought were good examples, right? It, I think they're really good examples too because they also take place close to home. Yeah. Like the moon, the sun, Earth, the morning star. Even these are all things that we can see and observe from Earth. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense that like when we started our imagination kind of started branching out that these were the places we would go. Right. Um, so those are two examples of stories like you know, that include aliens that happened before the 1950s boom right. of alien stories to right. clarify. That's true. But also there's mo- there's other ones and like you could really kind of stretch as well and be like well in Egypt they had Ra which is the sun god so he kind of right. is an alien. And like so you So like you can really push yeah. it. You can make this fit anywhere any kind of weird phenomenon that anyone experienced you know and they wrote down in their journal a lot of people like saw lights in the sky and they assumed it was god or whatever you know right but now in a modern context we might consider that like an alien story exactly yeah but well and so that's the other side of that so these are like these are stories that we take as like fiction as like folk stories as like like a cultural heritage coming from ancient times, then there are people who believe that we should take ancient texts literally. And when we see things like, so when we see like written accounts of like deities that they are gods Mm -hmm. and that's, I wanted to touch on that because yeah, there are people who are like, you know, right. Like aliens totally came to Egypt and helped them build the pyramids. Like look, just look at it. Right. But then by that same, you know, so it's like the the same principles that these people use. There are also other ancient texts that completely contradict that. Mm-hmm. There are ancient texts that say like these people are not like these deities are not actually gods. They're kings that people just love so much that they continued to like like venerate them after they died. And so what began is like them being consoled at the loss of this like important figure in their society oh. like turned into like so deification. Kind of like for instance when Julius Caesar died, um there was like a movement in Roman society to officially declare him a god. This was mostly yes. spearheaded by Caesar Augustus because that was his son and it was like if if um my dad is a god then that makes me the son of a god and he actually had coins printed that said he was the son of a god yeah and like and going back to egyptians like the pharaoh was god like that's what gave them their like power it's also kind of the same way we we talk about prince today talk about who 
Prince? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Is Prince an alien? Maybe. I mean. Maybe he's also a god. Yeah. Maybe he's also a god. Maybe he's both. So, so these, like, ancient texts that people are like, it's aliens. Like, okay, but that's only if you read this one ancient text and you interpret it the way you want right. to interpret yeah. it. So, that's what I wanted to bring that up. But, like, for the purposes of our podcast, I think that that's just, one, is kind of controversial. And, two, it's like, all right, so now we're taking these ancient texts that, and then kind of like like misshaping them to fit some kind of predetermined worldview yeah. as opposed to looking at them like like history of literature so but having said all that the the way that we understand aliens today as like other species from outer space that come to our planet or maybe we go see them out there or whatever mm-hmm. kind of came up in the 1950s because of all these uh, the space race and mm-hmm. The abductions and the, um, you said psychedelic drugs in the 70s, but what was the other thing in the 50s that was a... a Cold War. Cold War. The fear of invasion. Right, the fear of invasion in the Cold War. Yeah. And so we we start getting this boom in literature and stories and fiction about alien invaders. Yeah. Coming at us with ray guns and stuff. And that was like the golden age of sci-fi with like the pulp sci-fi rockets and uh, Flash Gordon. (coughs) Excuse me. Yeah, Flash, Flash Gordon. Gordon and Because War John of the Worlds Co- um, yeah. was actually written in 1898. Oh, that's another good one. That's yeah, he wrote this. it in 1898. The radio recording was performed much later. In the, interesting. Yeah. But Flash Gordon is from like the 1930s. Well, that's interesting though, because like we were, uh, that's like an example of one that's written well before the 1950s. That's I would, that's like very strictly about aliens from outside our outside. I would also like to put in that what you were about to mention, John Carter of Mars. That character first appeared in a magazine in 1912. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess there's like been small rumblings. Yeah. Yeah. All along the way. But I would just I would say that John Carter of Mars is firmly in science fiction. Like it's not like this could be possible. This is like a fantastical thing that's happening. Right. I mean in Superman, who I mentioned when we talked about the um bamboo cutter. Yeah. Um Super he, who? Superman? Superman. Superman. I don't know this story. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry, I'm just fucking is, with you. <laughs> I'm like, the way you said it was Superman, who I mentioned back then. It's, it's like yeah, I know Superman. <laughs> I was having a hard time yes-anding that. I was just okay. like, uh. uh. Superman, like, first came on in 1938. Okay. So, there, you see these little touchstones yeah. of, like, Building, aliens. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Journey to the Moon, A Trip to the Moon, sorry. Um, a Trip to the Moon. That's by George Millet. George Millet? I don't know how to pronounce his name. Like, one of the first movies. If you're offended by how we pronounce your name, please email yeah. us at George. Life Married. <laughs> Suggestions at LiveNarrated.com. Um. But it, that movie, they shoot a cannon at the moon, put a, put a bullet in its eye, and then there's, like, dudes there they meet. So, like, they're technically aliens, And too. that's another beautiful example when I was talking about, like, Area 51 and Roswell. That photo, if you guys go Google Trip to the Moon, that photo yeah. of the moon with, like, the black eye, yeah. again, is, like, something we all recognize. Mm-hmm. Although I could almost guarantee that, like, unless you took some, like, went to film school or had some film studies class, you probably never seen that film. No, yeah. I haven't. Or not in its entirety. Yeah. Also, that movie's not that great, so don't beat yourself up about it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it came out in 1902. Yeah. So, like... It's a classic. It's another one of those touchstones that will kind of lead us up to this 1950s boom. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. In media. The bubble. Like, when we see the bubble form, right? From starting in, like, the 1950s to the 1990s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, so I want to talk about Gary Westfall really quickly. Yeah. And then because I think he'll lead us into a good conversation um, from here on out about our like modern examples. Okay. Um, so he is Westfall is um, a reviewer. He's like a scholar of science fiction and a reviewer. And he's the he has a really great kind of position on it where uh, he says that aliens are both metaphors and a real possibility. Oh, so yeah. I so that's kind of why it's so tantalizing, yeah. right? Because we can use aliens as the metaphor for the outsider, for the the unknown, for the aggressor, for the benevolent teacher. There's so many things that an alien could be, but it's also a real possibility, and we're seeing that more and more with modern science. So, I think that's why. Even though it definitely has like rises and falls, right? Mm -hmm. In popularity, it's that's why aliens are such a great topic in science fiction and people come back to it yeah, over and over again. Absolutely. His kind of way to what he called surveying science fiction aliens is to classify them by their physiology, their character, and their eventual relationship to humanity. Okay. So I thought using these kind of principles. So those are the three things: the care, their physical characteristics, their their like personality, right? How they act as creatures. As they're like creatures. moral code, right? And or lack thereof. How we feel about them as people, or how they feel about us, right? Our relationship. Yeah. I was gonna say our big question for this thing. I should have told you earlier to think about this while we're talking. But um, <laughs> that what is the recurring themes in these media? What does it say about us? And like how? Mm. And and that's what I thought of when you said um, our eventual relationship with the aliens. Um, yes. So well, and that's something I actually want to touch on is like there are a lot of alien tropes. Yeah. And there's so many of them because I was looking up TV tropes about aliens, and it was just a lot of them were just like. Aliens that look like starfishes. Aliens that look like green. Aliens that are bigger than humans. But then also, there are ones that are like, aliens are really aggressive to humans. Aliens don't know how to treat humans, diseases and stuff. But it's basically just like all the things that like one person could do to another person. Like There's no like defining characteristic that encompasses all of these alien tropes. And I kind of like want to put forth a hypothesis that like aliens, much like zombies we discovered in our zombie episode... Yeah are kind of just like a really good stand-in for any kind of thing you want to talk about. And yeah. any kind of, like, Yes. Problem. A metaphor. Yeah, exactly. If you will. So they don't really have, like, a real... Uh, like, this is my hypothesis. They don't really have, like, a real unifying theme. Like, aliens are meant to be this and, like, right. make us feel this way. But, like, aliens can make us feel in lots of different ways, depending on how they're written and what they do, right. based on these classifications that... Our friend John, whatever his name, Gary, up, Gary, John, Gary <laughs> came up with Gary. <laughs> Gary's the first name. Gary, 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 Gary Westfall. Gary Westfall came up with. Also, I'm assuming his last name is Westfall. He snuck an H in there. Westfall. It's like W E S T F A H L. Westfall. Very German. Yeah. It's just German. That's just If you get offended German. by Throwing the way you pronounce your name, Gary, uh, email us at puffies.supplies. Uh, <laughs> Suggestions. Don't give out the magic tavern email address. Suggestions at lifenarrated.com. Emily, you were about to say something. I, I think the best example of that is Star Trek. 
if we're going to start talking about media. Yeah, let's do that. Let's um, get into it. Let's get into it. Because, like, Star Trek, they use interactions between aliens to play out these moral quandaries and, like, thing like, you know, the Prime Directive and, like, who to help and who to... Like, who's in the Alliance, right? Yeah. Or who's... Um, not Alliance, sorry. Federation. The Federation. <laughs> these I'm taking away your badge. <laughs> these, um, but it, I find it. I think that's one of the great innovations of Star Trek was that using aliens in all of these different ways to kind of explore these different moral problems. You know? That's yeah. interesting. When was when did Star Trek first air? 60s. That was like nineteen sixty something. I want to say sixty four, but that's probably not right. Um, I'll look that I up. Was thinking because 69. that is, I'm guessing. Um, that's, like, really close to when we start seeing that boom right. of alien literature. So, like, we went very quickly from, like, pulp sci-fi, like, Americans go to the moon and then conquer it and kill all the aliens for, for Jesus and for the flag <laughs> to, like, you know, where this is, like, very nuanced concepts of, like, how we interact. Well, and you're also in the thick of, like, the civil rights movement. Right. That's true. And I think a lot of that and was Star metaphors. Trek. Right, yeah. And Star Trek also had the first interracial kiss right. on TV. And, like, so they... But, you know, it was, like, they did it because it existed within this world that was one, right, like, in the future. But also one where it's, like, oh, yeah, there are all these, like, alien races and, you know, and we're all humanoid. It was 1966. 1966, Star Trek. Yeah, so that's not too far after. Yeah, so, you know, it was a... I heard this great story. Emily, feel free to cut this out. But I heard this great story that the way they got the kiss onto the show Mm -hmm. was because um, Shatner's... And, oh my gosh, I forgot the woman's name. who played. Yeah, uh, the actress's name. But anyways, so they basically, like, the the people who... They were, like, getting ready for the kissing scene. Uh And the producers were like, we can't do this. And they were like, well, why don't we do one take... With one and one take without one. And then you guys can choose, right? Oh, okay. And so they so they shot the scene. And then they, and then like William Shatner was like, let's just do one more. Let's just do one more. And they were like, okay, like enough. We only have time enough for one more Shatner, shot. You uh. born dog. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> we only have time for one more shot. And so you have to do one where you're not kissing. And they were like, oh, okay. So they like ran down the clock, used up, you know, the film, do one more shot. When they look at the dailies, Instead of doing the kiss, William Shatner looks right at the camera and goes cross-eyed. <laughs> so they couldn't use it. And they had to use the kiss. Yeah. That's so funny. So oh, I man. learned that off of Drunk History as That's well. That's great. You guys should check that out. Because the woman who played um, Ahura is, like, a badass. And I feel really bad that I don't remember her name. I'm just horrible with names. Uh, Star Trek is a great... <clears throat> I, I really hesitate to be, like... I often don't like media with aliens in it because you can use it as, like, a storytelling gimme, basically. Like, oh, it doesn't have to make sense. They're aliens. They just do it that way. Mm. And so the way that Star Trek does it, though, is that they're all very human in their way. They all have their own foibles and their own culture that, you know, affects the way that they do things. And I think, too, Star Trek is very technology-based, yeah. which is also something I think people can get behind because, to a certain degree, like, it, it's technology is something that can kind of, like, cross broad expanses, you know? So right. it's kind of like, oh, well, we don't mind that there's, like, an, like a weird alien using it because this is what's consistent about... Does that make sense? Yeah. Maybe I'm not, like... 
explaining it well. But I don't understand. <laughs> Damn it, Matt. Emily gets it. <laughs> it's like you have all these characters and you have all these aliens. And like Emily said, they're all like, you know, they all have, they're portrayed in a very human way where there's, you know, multi-layered. But then the consistency of the show is also in the technology that they're using. So everybody's like adhering oh, to like one like canon. Specifically in Star Trek. Yes. Okay, I thought you meant like in sci-fi in general. Like, no, 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 I'm talking about Star Trek. Because there's technology, everyone can deal with aliens. I'm like, wait, I don't get the connection. But in Star Trek specifically, you're talking about the standardization of the technology that they're using. So like the tricorders, the phasers, the right. uniforms, the communicators. Right. So everyone's different, but because they have the standard element, they're all a team. And so we can like kind of get behind the There's team. like a common, yeah, there's like a common thing kind of thread. And they also have different... They also go, they use that technology to explain maybe why something doesn't work. You know, it's like, oh, well, like when, I love the episode when Worf had to get his spine replaced. I forgot that episode. Oh, yeah, it's great. But it turns out, like, Klingons had, like, double of everything in their bodies. (laughs) So, like, there's this thing where it's like, you know, it's a very, very common procedure just to replace someone's entire spinal column, right? (laughs) Nowadays. But it's going to be different because he's Klingon. So it's like, yeah. yeah. So it's like, you know. It's, 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 again, it's like an opportunity to create drama where, like, you could easily have, like, written it out. Like, they read it, wrote it out for all the human characters. Like, right. his spider placement's no problem. But then for, because it's alien, like, they've created some drama. They've created some, like, a yeah. story where there might not have been one. Yeah. I would like to interject here that um, in uh, kind of similar to that, there's this thing on Tumblr that has become very popular, uh, and it's basically people refer to it as humans are space orcs. And it's like these narratives that people write of like interactions between aliens and humans, but like the humans are doing something that humans are seem normal, but is very troubling to aliens. Like, for instance, uh, an alien person or a human person is on a ship with a bunch of aliens and their crew and they like each other and the alien the human has hair that keeps on changing color and the alien is very upset and thinks maybe that it's molting or it's depressed and he doesn't know <laughs> why the hair keeps on changing color and like what it means and he's really like upset and so like <laughs> it's just this whole narrative between them and like are you okay? Like, is there something I can do for you? And like, why is your hair that color? So I've, I've heard this in a different way. It's, I mean, I didn't, didn't know it was called like humans are space orcs, but I've heard it as like humans are adorable to aliens. Oh yeah. Like, it's like, <laughs> it's a common trope, not common now, but like it's an evolving trope on Tumblr where like yeah. all these like weird little narratives are popping up where like, what if humans and aliens got along really well? And what if the aliens really just wanted to help us because they thought we were cute? Yeah. Like, the way we help dogs and the way, like... Yeah. And th- so, like, there's a lot of these little narratives where it's, like, if you want to go on an alien ship, you just, like, hail one down because all the aliens want to have a human on their <laughs> ship because, like, it's like having a golden retriever on board. Aww. <laughs> you know? And it's like, like they're adopting us. Yeah, you don't eat that much and you just, like, you're pretty good at fighting. Like, you don't really, you know... <laughs> Adopt, don't abduct. That's <laughs> <laughs> Adopt, don't abduct. I love you so much, Lauren. Ah, making t-shirts. Adopt, don't abduct. Adopt, don't abduct. Um, So, yeah, I've heard that uh, trope come along, too. Um, Yeah, I I find it... it, You should go online and kind of search through some of these. They're really adorable. Like, it is basically the same thing, I think. Um, And they're just really sweet and adorable and, like, very... Like, if you are a writer, very interesting, so... 
Um, my favorite, of course, is Star Wars. Would you um, say but, that that is an alien narrative? I mean, they're all aliens. It's Well, but, I was just about to say, it feels weird kind of bringing it into the play, though, right? Because all the main characters are humans, or at least human enough that they look like that us. they like as yeah. a human i recognize them as a human right right um but also i really love firefly and serenity right like that's one of my other favorite ones and i think it does something very similar to there are no aliens in start those. that's where i was going with this but go on yeah but they explore like in exploring the universe and how they've expanded it and created other cultures i think that it allows for the the metaphor that of like aliens aren't necessarily like little green men but like the metaphor for the other right yeah yeah so that's a a common trope and it's oh my god it's on here somewhere but it's that the that aliens are just descendants of humans who left a long time ago so yeah they're technically still people but in like kind of not in like, like Firefly, for instance, spoiler alert: if you haven't watched Firefly, just do it already. Um, <laughs> the you know the pe- thing the creatures that everyone is so afraid of, they're actually humans, yeah. And they've yeah. just been uh, they've actually been poisoned by other humans, and just gone crazy. And so I think that's yeah. In this instance, it's like a metaphor for the other and like you know the beast within, basically. Yeah, werewolves. I mean, and we've also got like some very common tropes for aliens, like just the aliens that come and want to kill us all. That's like a standard one. Yeah, Mars attacks. See, Mars attacks is a good example. A, a lot of these um, Independence that, Day. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say Independence Day. A lot of these narratives are about uh, aliens coming to attack us and trying to kill us. Like that's yeah. a huge uh, theme in all of these. This is one of the themes well, to think about. And I think that stems from like that original like. 1950s boom where it's all about the um, the Red Scare and like the Russians coming to invade us and like that's that was our whole perception of the other at that time was like mm-hmm. either they're coming here to kill us or we're going over there to take whatever their stuff is like there's no middle ground right and so like a lot of narratives from that time or narratives that like like Mars Attacks that try and like pay homage to that those kind of narratives right also kind of just like follow that straight path like we're going over there to kill them, and they're coming over here to kill us. Right. Or, like, um, another good example of that is um, uh, Starship Troopers. Yeah. yeah. And, the bugs. And The Edge of Tomorrow, which is similar to Starship oh, yeah. Troopers in a yeah, lot of ways. Yeah, very similar in a lot of ways, yeah. <laughs> but it's actually a very, very good movie if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things when we talk about um, Westfall, when he's talking about the physiology of aliens, it's like you see that in a lot of the what we think of the pulp classic alien films it's like you know are they humanoid or are they like animals right Mm. so that was like so like you see a lot of those old movies where it's like giant praying mantis looking things are the alien (laughs) or starship troopers where it's like literally the bug things right Right. they call them the bugs or whatever you know so it's again it's just kind of like this this bestial thing Hey, faithful listeners. Do you have an idea for an episode topic? Do you have your own opinions about what we talk about when we talk about zombies? 
Do you suspect someone of mind wizardry? Are you your own grandpa? Do you suspect us of mind wizardry? Let us know what you're thinking by emailing us at suggestions at lifenarrated.com. I want to point out right now that um, there's a really good movie, and a lot of people have seen it. It's very famous, called District 9. And that actually kind of takes that invasion trope and kind of turns it on its head a little bit by making the invaders not necessarily trying to hurt anybody. They just kind of, like, showed up one day. More like refugees than, right. than invaders. And I think that's, like, a really interesting take on it. And there's, like, a lot of other really interesting layers of that movie. Mm-hmm. Plus it has dope action sequences. But... I think that's, like, a really, like, clever way of taking, like, this old, like, the invaders have come from outer space and they're here to kill us all to, and, like, twisting it on its head a little bit to, like, the invaders have come from outer space and they're here to, like, sit around and not do much. Yeah, I think. And get persecuted by us. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> well, so like, we get to that place, like, where we eventually are like, oh, we're not afraid like, of you anymore. There's definitely, like, an apartheid, like, yeah. you know, like, correlation there. Like, yeah. I'm not trying to ignore that on purpose. I just, in the response, in the... We're talking about aliens right now. The, well, <laughs> We're talking about aliens, guys. So I think that's another uh, of these themes. So there's the theme, like, they're trying to kill us. We got to defend ourselves. Go America. Fuck yeah. Like, that's yeah. one theme. <laughs> and then the other theme is, like, they're not trying to hurt anybody, but we're doing terrible things to them because we're horrible people. So, like, for instance... Because either we don't understand or we're, like, just horrible. Yeah, like, District 9, for instance... Um, I'm trying to remember if there's another one. Arrival kind of falls into that category, except that they do end up helping anyway, in general. Yeah, I think Arrival is about that that initial fear. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. what do they want? What's going on? Exactly. You know? There's and a, they uh, come to the realization that they are being helpful. There's a, a uh, trope here in on the website called, or TV Tropes website under Aliens. It's called uh, First Contact Math. <laughs> and it's just like using math to do first contact. Yeah. Which I think is really cute. Yeah. That's Prime true. numbers. Beep, 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 beep. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. I would like to talk about a book series that I was obsessed with as a teenager. And the first one is called The Price of the Stars. It's by James McDonald and Deborah Doyle. And it's basically this space opera. And it follows this royal family who it has been disposed from their their planet, I think, got blown up got gassed whatever but one of the um one of alderand yeah they got alderand (laughs) and they have to deal with a lot of different species of people living out in the ether including humans who have been living on planets that have heavier gravity than the rest of the world so they are called heavy worlders and they're just like ginormous humans they're just very very strong and so Soup, yeah i was gonna say soups cut yeah are they like giant like, no, no, no. like giants they're not or they... they're giant in that they have bulging muscles i see what you're saying yeah so um they're just like and a lot of other people distrust them because of the fact that they are so much stronger than everybody else and so they had kind of have their own insular culture. And one of the, the characters was um, his father had a life debt to this alien. And as a result of that, ended up fo- they switched foster kids. So he um. went to this planet of like lizard people that <laughs> were, they're just like super vicious. And you're sent out when you're like 12 to like kill these horrible, like, uh, bear space bears and if you don't kill one if they kill you you're just done 
And, like, so he well, had yeah. to, like, he had to, like, learn. And also they speak in, like, grunts and, and like, hisses. So he had to learn how to speak that way. And it's just, like, really fascinating the way they interact with each other and the way everything fits on top of each other. Yeah. yeah. Who thought that was going to be a good idea? Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, the that's actually a, another trope. Like, there's a book called "Stranger in a Strange Land" by Isaac Heinlein. As- is it? Yeah, Heinlein. Yeah, and I was it's thinking Heinlein. Isaac Asimov, but it's not. You're right. That is incorrect. You're right. Um, I forget his first name. Robert. Robert Heinlein, and uh, it's Bobby. about uh, a guy him. who a guy who goes <laughs> to Mars, or his parents are like colonizers on Mars, and there are aliens there. And then his parents die, and so he's kind of taken in by the Martians and uh-huh. lives in the Martian lifestyle. But eventually comes back to Earth and, like, sets the world on fire with his, like, weird and strange ideas. But, and the uh, the book is good, extremely good, but it does deal very poorly with certain groups of, of human people, like women, for instance. But um, it's, it's very similar to what you were just describing, Emily, that, like, he has to, like, basically in the Martian culture, you just get tossed to the wind for the first, like, 13, 15 years of your life, and then if you make it, you get to come back in and, like, be well-loved by everybody. Interesting. Wow. So you gotta come... prove yourself worthy of, yeah. like, existing, it sounds but like. But then when he comes back to Earth, he finds it's the opposite on Earth, where as children, everyone's coddled and, and kept safe, and then as hum- as adults, and for the rest of your life, you're thrown to the wolves and just whatever you can make of it. Oh my god. Speaking so true. of yeah. problematic spacemen, uh, John Carter of Mars... Uh, mm, is, yeah. It's actually a series called uh, Barsoom series. And I think it starts with The Princess of Mars. I think that's the first one. Or maybe John Carter of Mars is the first one. Barsoom is the name of the planet they live on. It's what they call it in their culture. Yeah, but it's Mars. and We call it Mars. It was written again in 1912. And it is very, very problematic. <laughs> but it is very good. Like, in a in a classic like old-timey way 1912 kind of mindset right. like they yeah. i mean he definitely kills himself some indians and yeah. they're definitely, it definitely reminds me portrayed in a very on, poor light and also the there's this uh what's it called parallel between the indians on earth and these savage aliens on mars there's right, a lot of that right. going on so it, it's a unfortunate in that way but it is kind of interesting because it kind of reminds me of like an adventure narrative, mm-hmm. like an old West adventure yeah. narrative or like a King Solomon's Mines type thing, like yeah. the dark heart of Africa, except this is like totally fantastic. Like to the dark heart of Barsoom, Barsoom. we go. And, and it's it really is... cool because um, the thing I thought was really cool about it was that John Carpenter being a human man living on Earth, he's got, uh, which has higher gravity than on Mars, He's just super strong. And right. like, all these like six-armed super warriors come at him and he's just like, blah, one punch, laying them out, knocking their skulls out of their heads so and close stuff. To my face. I know, I'm like John Carter. <laughs> John Carter. And it is like, legitimately had like a moment of just like, he's gonna hit me. Like But it's it's pretty cool to read about. Uh, I have and, to say, uh, even as like uh, I usually don't not really interested in that kind of um, masculinity, but it was very interesting to read. I enjoyed reading that book. Um, the women, just, again, were just, like, non-characters, but it, it's still a good book. Like, it's very interesting. And he goes through and, like, really, like, does a lot of really good world building yes. for, like, the time. 
he like really kind of creates the culture and like the climate of like the politics in the in on Barsoom and, and like how there's no these... water and they they um, there's one civilization that's very technologically advanced who um, look like humans and there's another that's like savages and they're like six armed green people. Yeah, it's it's a good book. So let's uh, talk about some other alien stuff. I want to talk about real quick. Uh, Galaxy Quest. Yeah, Galaxy which Quest. Hinges yeah. really w- closely on that thing we were talking about earlier about the radio alien, loud. The, yeah. The radio loud, right? We, we've been radio loud for 120 might, years, so. Right, and how aliens might interpret that if they were ever to uh, find <laughs> it, and in the way they interpret it in this movie, spoiler alert, is that they think it's all real. Yes, it's very. So they funny. think there's a really great scene towards the end of the movie where the the deception is revealed and. Uh, Tim Tim the Toolman Taylor Tim Taylor is His the name main is character Tim, Tim Allen Tim Allen, Tim Allen. <laughs> I don't know people I mean you got it um, pretty much he's also Santa yeah in that one movie yeah but anyways he like asks these aliens like well don't, you don't think like Gilligan's Island is real do you and they're like all the aliens in a group are like oh those poor people <laughs> Uh, it's really good. I really. It's like a great it. movie. It's a fantastic comedy. Alan Rickman is perfect. Mm-hmm. By the way, every everybody is so good in that movie. The acting is just on point, and the fact that they have seen these historical documents of like a Star Trek like thing, and have taken it for real, and have built their whole civilization to look like the that TV show is just bonkers. It's, it's so funny. It's yeah, so good. So good. And they really, Galaxy Quest is great. They really expect these people to be like heroes. And they're like, I don't right. know what's going on. They basically abduct the actors that used to play in this TV show to be like the heroes of the of the ship. <laughs> but of course, they're just actors. So <laughs> it gets all, all sorts of shenanigans ensue. You are speaking of deception. Lies. Lies. That's right. <laughs> we lied. That's such a good movie. Yeah, it's really um, I love Men in Black. Oh, Men in Black yeah, is Men good Black. too. I love Men in Black too because it also does that thing. Um, Men in Black does a great job of oh, when we were talking about District Nine, where it's like humans are going to do what humans are going to do, so we immediately create bureaucracy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's and actually like, a really good point. Immigration yeah. issues and like things right. like that. Yeah, right. It's like literally like a space, uh, like. Um, Space ice. No, what's the <laughs> Space icy. When you go to another country, customs. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like these aliens have to come through customs <laughs> to, like, live on Earth. But I think it also does a good job in the vein of, like, Star Trek of, like, not all aliens are bad. Not all aliens are good. And clearly, I think, to, well, to me, I think it's, like, the metaphor here is, like, immigrants you know, where it's like, yeah, they come in legally, we get them jobs, they live their lives, they're fine, they're happy, like, they're just, you know, and then, and then you have, like, in the first one, you have, like, the little cockroach guy who's, like, the antagonist, who's, like, obviously, like, a bad alien who's, like, doesn't care about life. Yeah. Because I think a big point, a lot of alien movies where the antagonist is the alien, we tend to like value human life and human survival. Um, and, and that's what makes them the antagonist is that they have, it's not, it becomes like they have no reverence for life at all. Um, and, and like, so I'm thinking about like the movie alien, right. right. With the xenomorphs, oh, yeah. which are like, they're humanoid, but they're also very bestial and they just, 
kill. Yeah. Like, they don't care. And they're also intelligent. They're not animals. They're hyper-intelligent. They're a hive mind. They reproduce quickly and parasitically, which is, like, also horrifying to us. Well, it taps into, like, a body horror thing, which is something I want to talk about that aliens can do. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. But, like, I love the alien movies. Like, all all of them. Yeah. <laughs> Just, like, I don't care how shitty they get. I think the first two are the best. Like, Alien and, and then Aliens are the best. <laughs> but I will watch me some Alien Resurrection. Sure. <laughs> I definitely agree. Those first two movies are excellent. I've only yeah. seen the first no. one, so I should probably see the second one. The second one is the best one. Oh, really? You think so? Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. The first one was very much a horror movie. And not an alien movie. It's like every shot was like a postcard. It just, they did a lot with like shadows and light and like visuals, but it wasn't like an alien movie. Well, so I guess here's the question is like, what does that even mean? Like uh, we were, I had said earlier, or this was my hypothesis earlier, is that aliens can be used in all sorts of ways. So like when you think of an alien movie, like what are you thinking of? Because I I think aliens can be used in that context and it is like a... I, I mean, it, you're right. It's a horror movie. Yeah, I think kind of. in in this way. But then that way, Men in Black is a comedy. Right. Exactly. Right. That's what I'm saying. But I think in this way, it's more like it's just a monster <clears throat> movie. It's not necessarily a. There's nothing unique about it in that it's an alien. It's just a monster. Okay. So what would make it an like uniquely an alien? I think the movie? intelligence factor is. I mean, it has to be able to communicate in some way. So, like, we don't know if the Xenomorphs can communicate. Like, right. Well, they communicate with each other. It's pretty clear they choose not to. But well, like, so in they, the first one, can. there are no others. <clears throat> it's not communicating with anything. Oh, it's just the one, as I see what you're saying. Yeah, the first movie is all I'm talking about. Okay, so. In the second one, there's more than one. and they Well, do... technically there's two because, well, no, just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say, the one that bursts out of his chest, that's the one alien. <laughs> that's okay, so. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I... Uh, I want to point out, too, that uh, The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm, I love that movie, too. So scary. Also kind of a monster movie, but the monster happens to be an alien, and it's clearly intelligent, and it um, definitely doesn't give a shit about human bodies or, like, whatever. Or dogs. Or dogs or anything else. That's what makes them really bad. Yeah, it's it's so scary, that movie. It's so fucked up. But it's, like, really, really, really good. and. Um, but it's kind of like Alien in that, like, it's running, you're running, the, all the people in this, like, Arctic station are trying to be safe or, like, try to keep themselves safe from this, like, thing that seems to be able to just, like, get through all of their fences. Yeah. <clears throat> it, re- it replicates. So, like, the the thing, nobody knows what the thing is because basically it's like a parasite. So, like, it gets in you and then it, like mimics you intelligently Un- pretends to be you like, yeah until until it can't anymore and then that's when it kind of exposes itself and kills someone else or and, whatever right and kind of destroys the being that it's inhabiting oh that- remember the like giant chest mouth God, it was yeah and his arms are inside he's like giving cpr to this dude and his arms get bitten oh. It's so, like shit like that where it's like... But it's like straight body horror is the thing. It's body like, horror. But much like... Much like Aliens. Well, I think it's really interesting because like Alien... Like the alien concept of an alien is really good for that kind of thing. Because like if there's anything on planet Earth that just doesn't give a shit about like your human physiology or like your right to be like your autonomy as a physical creature, it would be an alien. Like you would just be <laughs> like... 
I mean, they, they might think of us like flowers, like daisies. Like, you pick daisies all day or whatever. And these aliens might feel the same way. Just like, get the fuck out of here. Like, just take this arm. I'm never going to be able to, like, do the, like, he loves me, he loves me not <laughs> thing without being like, oh, I'm taking over this flower's, like, yeah, right? <laughs> autonomy as its living being thing. But, yeah, and we know, the really quick, the last thing I'll say about the thing is that we know it's an alien because the reason the expedition is there is because they found a spaceship in the ice. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah. So that's how that. we know it's, an alien. it's not from this planet. Right. And, and the ice thaws and it comes back to life. Like a water bear. Like a water bear. <laughs> <laughs> are you saying tardigade, tardigrades are uh, the thing from the thing? Yes. Great. I, but like dudes. a but like a scary bad version. <laughs> Not a fluffy, tidy version. Um, no, I, no I cute I, little appa. That reminds me of um, that Doctor Who episode uh, called Midnight. It was about a planet oh, yeah. that was covered in diamonds, and they were basically in this like well shielded basically a spaceship and they were going out to see these diamond waterfalls and the shit breaks down and it's this really intense bottle episode with just doctor uh, the doctor and like a bunch of randos and like the alien somehow gets inside the ship and starts taking over people's bodies but they can't figure out who's it who it's taking over and it can it can apparently jump from one to the other well I think one of the things, cool things about that episode is that as the audience, the way it's shot, we know what's happening, and like the right. doctor can see what's happening. Right. But all the people in the in the the bus who are equally terrified and equally like don't know they don't know the doctor from Adam, you know. Right. They don't know what's going on, and so they they resort to like this mob mentality, and things get really bad. Yeah, and like the terror of that is, I mean, the the alien's pretty terrifying, but more it's the humans that are terrifying. Because, Absolutely, their response. Yeah, in in the beginning, the alien you can see that the alien is there. It's it's inside somebody, and you know it's there, and it's just like watching them, and it's not doing anything, but it's freaking them out. Like they are just freaking the fuck out, and. It's cl- and the doctor says that the alien's watching. It's it's trying to learn what we're doing. So let's stop doing it. Like that's that's his whole mm-hmm. thing. And they're like, just they cannot. They just lose their goddamn minds. And so the <laughs> alien learns how they're interacting, and it starts interacting, and it learns. The scariest part is when the person who has the alien inside them starts like whipping up the other people, and is like. And I saw him do this and this and that. And, like, he, the alien now knows how these people respond to stimuli and what is going to freak them out. And so it's just, it's terrifying. Like, that's a really terrifying episode. It's a really good episode of Doctor Who. But, which, by the way, first air date was uh, 1963, (laughs) beat uh, Star Star Trek by three years. Wow. So that is all about aliens because the Doctor is an alien. Exactly. And so that's another good example of, like, something that came out right Right after that boom started. And that height, yeah. I, I do appreciate Doctor Who in that it it usually overturns tropes of aliens. Like, in the, one of the first episodes I ever saw, it was trying to track down this creature that was, like, eating people or doing something bad. And my expectation as an American TV watcher was that the second they found it, they were going to blow it up. They were going to kill it. Like, let's kill it. But the second they yeah. found it, he's like, what are you doing? Are you okay? Like, what's happening here? Let's like, talk about this. Yeah, he wanted to talk it out. And I was like, my first reaction was like, kill it. And then I was like, <laughs> <Yeah>. wow, okay. <laughs> I remember I remember feeling that exact same way. I'm glad you, you talked about it. Yeah. And like, yeah, that's really interesting. 
Um, but that's another example of like one of those shows that like kind of makes the aliens be whatever it is that we need them to be for our narratives. Right. Yeah. Exactly. As opposed to like either the the invader or the whatever. Yeah. You know. I really like um, Coneheads. I just want to bring that up for a second. <laughs> Coneheads. Because I was the more I thought about it, like obviously it's funny and ridiculous, but it's I I don't know if this is one of the tropes, but I feel like it should be, which is that like. Alien comes to Earth with intent of conquering, ends up falling in love with Earth and Aww. like humans. It's like it's like Invader Zim. No, Invader Zim didn't quite kind fall in love of. with Earth. He just is inept. He's just completely incompetent. But Invader yeah. Zim's another one. Home, um, that movie Home. Did you guys ever see that? It was an animated like it was a children's movie, but that was really it was like really sweet and like you know. The guy from Big Bang Theory is, I think that was, like, one of the big selling points where it's, like, Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory was, like, the main character who's, like, this really cute, lovable alien and ends up saving, you know, so it's, like, the alien comes to Earth and ends up saving Earth, you know? Also, E.T., if we yeah. don't forget oh, about E.T., um, I read this book, and I've told you about it a billion times, called Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. And if you are looking for, like, a modern take on, like, alien, all kinds of, like, what could possibly be out there. Like, they just, a lot of weird configurations of life appear in this book. Just, like, ways that Mm. people live on the fringes of society. Like, one character falls in love with the ship AI and, like, is seriously, it's illegal to build robots for, humanoid robots for AI for this particular reason and so he's thinking of getting a black market kit and like they're discussing it and just like all of these really interesting like life forms come together in this book and it's just very good um interesting but you talked earlier lauren about animorphs which was one of my favorites as a kid and that's basically where the aliens are fighting each other and one of the races has already started invading earth but nobody can tell because they take over people's minds and so this group of kids they find a dying alien from the other race and he gives them superpowers to turn into animals basically in order to fight this uh the yurks which are the invading force Mm -hmm. and it's very interesting because you find out one of the main characters his brother has already been infected by the point that they find out what's going on so like he can't uninfect his brother because they have to every i think it's three days they have to recharge so it is possible to get the alien out but like in order to do that his brother would have to go into hiding and like all there's all sorts of like political ramifications and like things like that it's just really very it's a much deeper uh series than like a lot of people give it credit for i think because it's like supposed to be for kids yeah it is for kids i would love to see a very good tv show about this there's a really bad tv show Hmm. about it once um i think attack the block is a falls into that like kind of monster alien movie but is like really fun and really awesome and it's funny Mm -hmm. but also dune Oh, yeah, um, Dune. I thought about Dune because I, I was telling you guys before we started recording, I was like, I didn't read a whole lot of, like, science fiction based with aliens except for kind of extended universe Star Wars stuff. Um, but then I was like, oh, wait, I read Dune. Uh, that's a, And that's an undertaking. 
<laughs> well, I read half. I kind of read half of it. Listened to the audiobook. Half there of you it. go. That's so. reading. That's that counts. I want to quickly throw out there a couple uh, alien-based uh, video games that people yeah. might or may not have played. Galactica. Mass Effect is like Galactica. Oh uh, no! What is oh, it like Space Invaders? You space mean Space Invaders? <laughs> yeah. What is it called? <laughs> That's. I well, there's Space Invaders and there's like Galactica. I think, I think it's Galactica. Yeah, it is called. I mean, Galaxia. but I think it's like Galaxia. the same diff. Whatever. Anyway. Yeah, it's like it's basically the same game. Um, yeah, that the Space Invaders falls into that trope <laughs> where they're coming to invade Earth and we gotta kill them because we're Americans. Um, there's another one, uh, Mass Effect, which is really uh, popular, and I actually haven't played a whole lot of them. I actually watched the Let's Play only, so I don't really know exactly what happens. But all the aliens in that have their own distinct personalities and pros and cons for them and uh, all the ways the politics work together. I guess in the story there's like this um, big uh, what's it called? Like a space station where humans have been invited to come live and uh, your character is the the one like super agent that's allowed to be in their super agent squad. Oh cool. And um, yeah you just have to like kind of there's trouble in the universe you have to go fix it but uh it's fun because all these aliens are living on the same space station. They all have to like kind of get along together, and they all have these like weird, like quirks. Like there's one race I forget even what they're called, but they're like these floating jellyfish things. Yeah. And they have a hive mind, and so the way they talk to you is like, "This one is feeling okay. This one likes that you are here, Commander Shepard." That's oh. funny. And it's speaking of like this one unit of our consciousness, like right appreciates like the seven of nine. Yeah, kind of, exactly. Like, what is the, the name of that game? game? Mass Effect. Oh, yeah, Mass Effect. It's a very narratively driven game, so if you don't, like... I mean, there's a lot of shooting and stuff, but if you want, like, something with a good story, that's one to do. Another one I want to point out that has, like, an excellent story, which is very similar, but has a different tone entirely, is uh, Star Control 2, which is excellent. Um, It's basically, like, the precursor to Mass Effect, and it's very old, but you can get a free version online now, I think. Yeah, it's not called Star Control 2. It's called um, the Urquan Masters, which yeah. is the subtitle. So it's like, um, you know, legally distinct. But um, there's a whole lot of copyright issues for that right now, actually. Um, but basically, you, you start off on Earth and you just fly around these planets in the solar system. And the solar system, or the galaxy, or whatever, is huge. There's like hundreds of stars you can go to. And each star has like several planets that are orbiting it. And you can go down to each one and like collect resources. But then in each different area of the... The galaxy, you meet, like, different alien species, and depending on, like, what you do with them or how you talk to them or what you inter- how you interact with them or what you've done to other species, they will be either hostile or they'll have, like, they'll be friendly or they'll have, like, some weird puzzle for you to solve or Ryan like, something. Ryan was really obsessed with this. I love wow. that game, yeah. It was good. Um, but it's also, the thing about this one is that it's super funny. Like, there's a one species called the Spotty who... Who like their main evolutionary advantage is that they're just like absolute utter cowards. <laughs> like that's all they do is like whenever there's danger, they're just like nope, see ya. <laughs> like so, one of the punishments like the main bad guys in the game do is like they ask every race. They're like, hey, you either help us or we're gonna put your homeworld in a shield that you can't break out of, and so you'll be barred from space travel forever, oh. or until we decide to let you out. Yeah. And and so most people say like, okay, we'll help you. The Spotty, they were like, okay, we'll help you because we don't want to be whatever but then eventually they figure out how to use the shield technology and they just shield themselves they're like ah you can't touch us we're safe here that's funny we're just doing it on our terms exactly 
<laughs> um, I remembered the movie that I was thinking of yeah. earlier. It was A.E. Oh, okay. Do you guys remember that movie? A.E. After Earth. And it was it was like an animated movie, but like very adult driven. Yes. And it was about like how Earth was destroyed and it kind of forced um, humanity to go out into space. And so then there's like a bunch of aliens that they encounter and mm. it's like alien technology and... Or Titan AE. Yeah, I was going to say it's Titan, Titan AE. Titan yeah. AE. Yeah. That's yeah. what, okay. Because um, Titan is the name of the ship that they use to, like, make a Earth again. I actually never watched um, that. Never saw it. I forced a friend of mine to watch it with me because I thought it was going to be cool, and then I did not like it. No. <laughs> <laughs> and neither did she, so. It's funny because I, I, what I liked about it was the idea that, like, somebody could come up with a way to create a planet, which is so, like, fucking, like, God complex, right? <laughs> I mean, like, literally. Do we have any others that we want to mention before we go? Um, War of the Worlds, you mentioned, but... Yeah, we talked about... I mean, we didn't talk about it, but I think yeah. everybody knows. Guardians of the Galaxy... Yeah, Guardians. Yeah. I thought Guardians I really enjoy the Marvel universe that they're doing right now and Guardians is like one of my favorites and I think it is because there is like the alien aspect to it that's not in, you know, X Men and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, it's really fun. Technically aliens. X Men well, are? No no. The Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh uh, sorry. But really it's a superhero <laughs> movie. Yes. I'm I'm giving Emily a, a very stern look through I can't Google. see you. Oh, now I can. <laughs> Hi, why? Superhero. Technically, a superhero movie. Okay. Not an alien movie. Okay. <laughs> I didn't bring it up though. <laughs> Anyways, you guys, if you can think of some that you want to discuss or think are useful to discuss, you should send us an email at suggestions at lifenarrated.com and we'll read them and maybe talk about them next time. Or tweet at us. We have a Twitter. And we have a Facebook page. And we an have an Instagram. A page. We have an Instagram. We have it all. We got all the social medias. Which yeah. one do you want? We got it. That's right. I right. run the Facebook, so it's the best one, but like you can go to the others uh, if you I'm want. I'm sorry. Twitter is actually the best. It's uh, Life Narrated Pod. You're the worst. Mine's so much easier to find. It's just called Life Narrated. That's easy. Just I would say in. the Instagram is also really easy to find, but it's very hard to find visuals for an <laughs> audio media. <laughs> audio so yeah. I am responsible for the Instagram. I like the things I post on there. <laughs> I, a lot of it is pictures of my mic setup. I stand and by it. <laughs> collaboration talks on Google. Okay. Um, Anyways. Well, listeners, thank you. Uh, we're going to be signing off now. Don't be a trope, you dopes. Remember, adopt, don't abduct. And keep telling your story.